All right, in this part of the show, we do obituaries, and we have two, I think, to talk about on today's program. The first being someone we had a shot at getting on Radio Parallax, or at least so we thought. That would be the legendary Art Linkletter. Someone once said that uh, the news was reporting that Lord Jones was dead to people who didn't even know that Lord Jones was alive. And I'm sure to our younger listeners, Art Linkletter is Lord Jones. Who's he? If you're older than about 40, you surely know who he was. He had a long, long running television program. Passed away a couple weeks ago at age 97. Now, we thought we had a shot at him because uh, one of our Hollywood correspondents, Don, used to run into him a lot. I told him, ask him if he'll come on the show. So at one point he crossed paths and did. Art Linkletter said the only reason to appear on a radio program or a TV program was to make money. We couldn't help him there, so that's one reason he never appeared on Radio Parallax. Writing about him, Mark Evanier said, Art Linkletter was darn near the last of a breed. Those guys who came out of radio, got into television, and functioned as hosts. They weren't comedians. They weren't musical performers. They weren't actors. They were just hosts, often of game shows. And there were a lot of them around in the early days of TV. What did Art Linkletter do? He was a host. Said Mark Avanier, I'm afraid he never was a favorite in our household. Much of America saw him as warm and genial and beloved, I suppose. But everyone I knew saw him as unctuous and enormously condescending to the people who got plucked from his audience to appear on his shows, House Party, or People Are Funny. He just had this way of acting like they were all colossal boobs, and that it was his job to make sure they came across that way. There also seemed no product he wouldn't sincerely endorse if they were paying him enough. Which pretty well fits in the, with the comments he made to Don. And it's curious that Mark Evanier on his website, which we've plugged many times, and it's really the only blog I think we read in the entertainment business, which is news from me. Evanier said, I used to see him around town all the time, but I never said hello to him. Usually when I meet a celebrity of any tenure, I can think of something the person did that I liked. So I can say, I really enjoyed your work in that. I couldn't think of anything in that vein regarding Art Linkletter, so he remained unapproached by me. Adding, oddly enough, the one time I liked him was the last time I saw him anywhere. When Steve Allen passed away, there was a tribute evening out at the Alex Theater in Glendale. Performers had worked with Steve Arino, telling tales, doing their acts, etc. Linkletter was the master of ceremonies, and though he was around 87, he was sharp, funny, and darn good at what he did. I find myself actually wondering why he'd totally disappeared from TV, apart from the occasional commercial. And from the movies, we note the passing of the legendary Dennis Hopper. Maverick, actor, director, said his obituaries. Edward Wyatt, writing in the New York Times, said, Dennis Hopper, whose portrayals of drug-addled, often deranged misfits in the landmark films Easy Rider, Apocalypse Now, and Blue Velvet, drew on his early out-of-control experiences as part of a new generation of Hollywood rebels. Adding, Mr. Hopper, who said he stopped drinking and using drugs in the mid-80s, followed that change with a tireless career phase in which he claimed to have turned down no parts. And if you know movies at all, you know Dennis Hopper. The obit noted that uh, Easy Rider, which Mr. Hopper wrote with Peter Fonda and Terry Southern, and which he directed, followed two truth-seeking bikers, Fonda and Hopper, on a cross-country journey to New Orleans. It won the prize for Best first film at the 1969 Cannes Film Festival. Dennis Hopper also got an Oscar nomination for writing the film, while a nomination for Best Supporting Actor went to a little-known guy named Jack Nicholson. 
My favorite Hopper story is that in the wake of Easy Rider, which was a low-budget film that made a jillion dollars, the studios didn't understand it, but they gave him a million dollars, at least Universal Studio did, and said, see if you can't repeat your success. Dennis Hopper then took what's described as a cadre of hippies to Peru to shoot The Last Movie, a hallucinogenic film about the making of a movie. Strangely, it won top prize at the 1971 Venice Film Festival, but failed with critics and at the box office, but did earn a place in that wonderful cinematic tome, which we've quoted many times in the show, The 50 Worst Films of All Time. And in that book by Harry Medved and Randy Dreyfus, uh, they included things like The Critics Rave, and then excerpted some reviews, which included Andrew Saris, The Village Voice, A Hateful Experience, Judith Christ from New York, Pure Fiasco, Bruce Williamson and Playboy said, inept and pretentious. And William Wolfe and Q described it as an artistic disaster. Wrote Medved and Dreyfus describing his directing abilities. Mr. Hopper appears to be the, under the influence of something stronger than a cocktail. And his incoherent directing reflects the same influence. Dennis apparently carted a bunch of his friends down there to make cameo appearances in the film, including Chris Christopherson, Sarah Miles, Peter Fonda, Dean Stockwell, and Michelle Phillips, whom the next year he married for eight days. When we talked to a cartoonist, Eric DeCetis, several years ago on this program, he told us about visiting Larry Flint's mansion and having an elevator door pop open, out of which emerged Larry Flint, Dr. Timothy Leary, and Dennis Hopper. We're going to have to bring Eric back to tell us about that night down in, uh, in Los Angeles. And by the way, although he was an all-time character, I thought the work that Dennis Hopper did on the screen was pretty damn good. We have to quote from The Week magazine's review of Robin Hood. Now, as a boy, I grew up with the TV show Robin Hood starring Richard Green. So I, so I really knew all these characters, Friar Tuck, Will Scarlet... Little John, Maid Marian, and of course, the Sheriff of Nottingham. Or as my friend Tracy from Nottingham <laughs> used to say about the tourists that we got out of the bus to go to Sherwood Forest, and where was the Sheriff of Nottingham? But I digress. Central to the Robin Hood story, at least in, in, in my experience, is the fact that Robin robbed from the rich and gave to the poor. But apparently in the new version by Ridley Scott, uh, this whole socialist stuff just had to go. Wrote the editors from the week, Robin Hood at times appears to be a political attack ad paid for by the Tea Party movement circa the year 1199. Yes, apparently according to Ridley Scott, uh, the Russell Crowe version of Robin Hood operates in an England which is being taxed to death by a corrupt government and a hero is needed to battle the evil King John. I don't know. I plan to save my money and watch once again the 1938 version with Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, and Claude Rains. They've remade that movie an awful lot of times, but I think that was the definitive version. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. And we want to note that uh, as we hand off the public affairs hour of the afternoon to musical broadcasting, one gets to hear KDVS at its finest, playing the kind of selections you just don't hear on commercial radio. We've been followed in past years by 
Todd Urich with Hometown Atrocities, Ryan Todd with California Police State, and currently Chloe and Zoe with Fun with Fractals. I'm not sure what they're going to, to play for you, but I was told if we did something with a Batman theme, they'd follow it. So I don't know how many Batman movies there have been, but I'm going to go with my personal favorite Batman theme, that of the 1960s television show, which I still regard as one of the great deadpan comedies of all time. A song which I recall actually playing at the 7th grade talent show in junior high. Anyway, unbeknownst to me, The Who covered the Batman theme song, and I think that's what we'll use to go out with, Mr. McMillan.